Chapter 5 The Visitors Having found no game in the forest after the prolonged hunt, Wallace and his men came upon a clearing. Prince Wallace, General Robtak, Zorna, Joseph the Apothecary, and Captain Lexi dismounted and walked their horses out of the forest and into the clearing. Down to his knee, he reached into the grass. Lexi rubbed his stomach. It's been some time since I've been on a still hunt and captured absolutely no game at all. Nothing, said Lexi. He unknocked the arrow he kept in the hemp string of his long bow. It's as if someone or something has other plans for us and scared the game away. I understand your meaning. What prey is your appraisal, Zorna? It is a mystery, Zorna said flatly. Paying more attention to the outlying cabin, they approached more than twenty yards away. The perimeter of the cabin, covered with splotchy, burned, and dead vegetation, the cabin was untidy and disturbed. It appeared lifeless and deserted. What is this place? Wallace muttered, his eyes also locked onto the isolated cabin where they neared. Each man wondered where they wandered. And sire, Joseph said, turning a glittering object over in his hand. What is this? There seems to be something attached to it. A mystery, said Zorna, ignoring Joseph. He took not even an instant to look at the object Joseph held to his face. A mystery? Is that all? Is that all the great wizard has to say is a mystery? Joseph jabbed. The man continued to approach the cabin, now within thirty feet. Lexi swept his feet through the grass as he stepped, advancing closer to the cabin. He's without his crystal ball, Lexi snickered. Don't bother him, said the general. He's thinking something that might profit you as well if you would ever try. The other men shook their heads. Wallace pointed to the dead livestock scattered about the homestead. Check your maps for landmarks, said Wallace. Perhaps we may confirm our direction and get a little water, said Wallace. See, the house was vandalized and scorched. It is obvious there was a battle here. They trudged closer. They could smell scorched wood. The reminder that the thatch roof, impaled with scores of failed fire arrows, was burned away and collapsed into the standing cabin walls. The wooden fence surrounding the small homestead was shattered. Hoof marks in the mud indicate horses had trampled it. It is dead here, Lexi muttered, as the forest was there. We should announce ourselves, sire, General said, leaning into Wallace. The mud, the splotchy grass squished beneath the horse's feet. Hello, Wallace shouted. Deserted, he muttered. During our mission, you must get used to addressing me as Walter, Wallace said. The same for the rest of you. We are incognito. Each man encircling the homestead stayed close to the walls. They peered through the windows and the large cracks in the wall, rising from the foundation. Is anyone in there? asked Wallace. We're weary travelers who wish hydration and refreshment from your well shouted General Reptak. As they covered, they listened but heard no response. Puzzled, the general glimpsed Wallace, nodding they should proceed. They strode, 
combining the splotchy grass of the cluttered yard, the general discovered spots of red on the soil and grass. Blood? Joseph said, crouching as he strode, tugging the reins of his horse behind him. What is that? Lexi said. Joseph pointed, tugging his horse along by the reins. Lexi peered closer to the ground. His eyes tracked the blood trail, dotting around the ground. My eyes are not what they used to be, Lexi said. But I do know blood. Several stopped before the others. He stopped. Had a slightly grassy depression on the ground. There the blood, black and old, was greatest. He eased onto one knee. Lexi ran his fingers through the line of the scattered white pebbles near the blood. Someone has lain here. They dragged themselves out, he examined, pointing to a broad trail of black blood leading from the depression. Welcome to Conversations with the Authors. Welcome back to Conversations with the Authors. I'm your host, Daniel Troop. And I'm Daryl. And I'm Sandra. Uh, of course, you recognize those voices by now. Those are my parents and the authors of the highly rated How Nicholas Became Santa Claus. What you just heard was an excerpt from Chapter 6. Um, yes, I read it. I did the voices. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, Oscar, Oscar. Um, so, um, this scene, this, this chapter was, was very, even though the excerpt I read was short, I can assure you the rest of the chapter is, is amazing. Uh, it's, it, it's, it, it's got some surprises in there, uh, and I want you to find them from yourselves because they're, they're, They'll get you. Um, but it's big on visuals, really big on visuals, but also smell. Uh, and even though I just read the book, um, I just read the chapter um, uh, recently now, having read it before, but like this is most recent reading. Um, you talk about the um, arrows hitting the thatch of the roof and the burning wood. Mm. Uh, now you're big on scent uh, and things like that in your writing. Is is that important to you? Oh yeah. Like, what's more important? Do you find visual? Do you find scent, or is it sort of all of the above? Well, I I think it's all of the above. I, I think it's uh, it depends on what kind of. Uh, feeling you're trying to uh, 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 trigger in someone right, you know? right. and uh, smell is one of our basic senses it was probably the first thing that came along before sight or vision or, or, or feeling of any of that right. and so when we smell things it can it can inspire emotions in us right right when you're an infant the first thing you that happens in the world is that you start smelling things mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know, and the first thing that you can smell is milk. That's that's how you find mommy. Well, that's the sound of me getting another idea. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> um, now, we are introduced to Wallace's party in this chapter. You've got Prince Wallace, who's quite soft-spoken, but he's very... Oh, there's you another idea. Another idea. <laughs> <laughs> they just keep coming. Um, you've got, uh, um, you've got Captain uh, Lexi, who's... You know, he's sort of kind of a bros, and you know, he's he's kind of full of himself. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got the general who is sort of you know, he's got all this sort of wisdom behind him. I think with his voice, and of course you have 
the wizard Zorna. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, can you tell us a little bit about these characters? Uh, do you do you think my assessment of them is pretty accurate, or is there something maybe that we should know about them? Not you know, no spoilers moving forward. Uh, that well, I, I think all of these guys, uh, you know, add to the ensemble. Mm. You know that we need to uh, to move the story forward. And these are some interesting guys, and uh, well, of course, the general has been through a lot of wars. He's uh, he's well seasoned, mm, yes. You know, and uh, so he's the right man for the job. He doesn't seem too surprised by a lot of things that are happening right now. He's sort of. Uh, you know, you can tell that he's been witness to a lot of things. Yeah, I, I think an ordinary person might be shocked, but you can't be shocked and get your job done. Right. You know? right. And it seems to me that Lexi in this in this chapter, uh, just just off of this first you know few pages, uh, he's sort of critical of people. I think. I don't think he. Uh, well, Lexi's uh, you know, at the stage in his life where. He thinks he knows more than everybody else, and mm-hmm. he he has this this intense mm-hmm. grumbling under his voice yeah. of mm-hmm. of uh, well talk, it, talking about everybody the way everybody mm-hmm. does things. Well, you know when you're when you're young like him, you think you know everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, he he thinks he's, he thinks he knows more yeah, than a general. Yeah. And you know, reading into this, we're introduced to oh yeah, <laughs> there's another idea. Another idea. We're introduced yeah, he's, to these little ideas keep popping up. They keep ringing in. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see if I can slow my ideas down. A <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> if I just slow down. No, so, just slow your ideas down. I've always said I have a good brain. I think it's it's a little too good right now. I'm going to see if I can uh, quiet that down. Um, uh, it's too slow. Um, okay, so we have some questions also from our, um, our readers. Uh, Ernie Page. Uh, wants to know what inspired you to write science fiction. Well, you know what? In, in real life, I'm I'm a scientist, and you might even know that there are a lot of scientists, whether they're doctors or physicists, who write science fiction. Mm-hmm. Arthur C. Clarke, good example, right? Right. You know, and uh, um, Michael Crichton uh, was was a doctor. He was. Uh, uh, very imaginative too. So we get right. these ideas, and, and so was Einstein. Right, yeah. And he actually said that you have to have imagination before you it, can have you science. Know, somebody asked him what was more important. He did say imagination. Right. And you so. talk about mm-hmm. uh, you've introduced this new character in this in this page, um, Joseph the apothecary, <laughs> and uh, he seems to work alongside the wizard Zona. And so, um, as as the name suggests, science fiction is science uh, it's fiction with a basis in science so uh, how how did that um sort of come into play when writing characters like the apothecary joseph well i i think uh you know science and science fiction go hand in hand mm-hmm. uh, he's an apothecary he's I, I I think if we were times earlier, they'd think he was a magician. Right. And I you guess know. nowadays we sort of call them a pharmacist, right? Yeah, we yeah. call them a pharmacist now, but they come up with potions, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, and uh, you know, they deal them. in potions. And uh, we use we use science as its basis, you know. And But, uh, you know, sometimes it can seem like magic. You know, there was a time when, when science, uh, uh, religion, and magic were all rolled into mm-hmm. one thing. They were... 
man's best way of trying to explain right. uh, his environment and, and how his world worked. Right, and that's really just sort of how stories sort of came about uh, to begin with. You know, we talk about, you know, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, you know, they've all sort of, everyone has these sort of gods and whys and what fors to explain you know, the inexplainable at the time. I, I dare mm. say probably the caveman sat around the fire telling stories about the catch that got away or the one they caught, the huge one that they got. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So. Uh, right. uh, Mike wants to know, uh, what sets your science, uh, your sci-fi books apart from others in the genre? Well, I think um, uh, we've uh, tried together. I think we've come up with some really, really good ideas. Um, they, they, there's an old saying that said two heads are, are better than one, mm, yes, and we yeah. both wrote this story together. So uh, we don't get uh, just one bent one way of, of looking at something we toss this between us and we get a a, a, a better way of looking at yeah. the story you know yeah. she may have some ideas I have some ideas and we put them together I think and so those too. ideas are different from us singularly I think so too it also helps to not get pigeonholed you know right sort of you have if, this if one is stuck in going in but you also have a preferred way of looking at something or writing something, and some and one or the other might go, "Hey, what are you could try it this way," you know. Well, we both do that often, right? And you I know, th- and and I think that's sometimes you can get a good example of that uh, by bands, for instance, right. musical bands mm-hmm. uh, like the Beatles. You've got four individuals who are highly talented, right? And together they make music that's different from all four of them, right? You know, and I think so too. That you know they recognize where the strengths and weaknesses are in themselves and in each other, right. and I think uh, as a pair of writers, I think you've learned how to balance that out and say, okay, you're really good at this, and we'll let you do that, and I'll work on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and um, which leads to the next question from uh, Herp, I think, who was a Star Wars fan. Uh, how do you develop your characters in a sci-fi setting? Well, first you have to know your story. Mm-hmm. After you've outlined your story and you know where it's going to go, uh, you're going to have to populate that story mm-hmm. with people that can carry that story forward. Right. And you can sit, you sit down, you, you you or you walk around. Some people pace, and you think about the the types of people that you need to do the job. It's, you're almost like an employer, yeah. kind of because yeah. you're you're hiring folks to do the job that needs to get done. So. In this case, it's a little bit easier because we can invent the people. <laughs> so, if you're writing a story and you're trying to figure out, you know, who's going to get the job done, um, to use the analogy, how do you keep from overhiring? How do you keep from having too many extras or too many characters in a scene? How do you whittle that down? Well, sometimes you you'll have extra characters in mm-hmm. a scene. That's true, but and you, if you make the audience love them. Mm-hmm. Then you can eliminate them. Ah, you know, I see. so it, it brings in a lot of emotion too. I'm right. pretty good at doing that. <laughs> fought her, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so you know, it, it, it reminds me. I don't know if any, anybody out there ever see the uh, uh, the movie Galaxy Quest. Yes, yes. you know, and the, the, there was the one guy. It's a Sam Rockwell played in it. And yes. He said, oh, "Look, I don't have a name. I'm here to I'm get just, killed I'm just, off. I'm just a guy. Oh. I'm just the guy to get killed <laughs> off." 
So. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess that sort of ties into the question that we have from Amber, who is a science fiction lover, and her question is, how do you approach creating a believable and immersive sci-fi world? And I think I have an idea on how you might answer, but I want to see what you're going to say first. Well... I, I think that the world has to be a hybrid. Mm. I think it's a hybrid between uh, reality mm -hmm. and what you can imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, because you want people to have something that they can grasp. You know, if it's if it's too alien, you know, they might not be able to hold on to it and right. get their orientation. Mm -hmm. So you give them something very familiar, right. and then you take it to the next level. And I think some of the greatest stories we have out there are have a basis in familiarity. I think those that are the most popular, be them religious stories or uh, mythos, they have things that we as just a human species relate to. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I think um, my way of thinking about approaching an immersive and believable world, uh, as you guys are well versed in, is if you heard the chapter reading, detail. The devil is in the details. It is. Right. It is. Right. And I think paying attention to those details is what makes things immersive. For instance, you talk about the smell of the burning wood. Mm -hmm. uh, last chapter, we talked about, well, we were with Wallace and his wife, and we could smell the buttercups and the hickory on the wind. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you have different foods and drinks that show up in the story, and I think uh, bringing those in, again, a relatable thing, but I also think that um, it's, it's, it, it, make, it adds some tangility, and, you know, something you familiarity. can touch. Familiarity. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Familiarity, too. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think detail is, is, is very important. If anybody remembers the original Star Trek, for instance, yeah. you know, the Enterprise, uh, it was wonderful stories, but the Enterprise was rather barren on the inside. Right. You know, you saw a few flashing lights and a lot of smooth walls, yeah. you know, and so, but if, in, but if you compare that to Discovery, uh, Star Trek uh, Discovery or uh, uh, Picard, there's more than just flashing lights. It looks like you've got a work, right. working deck. Yes, yes. You know, and it looks so realistic. That's detail. Yeah. And you know, I, that's detail that you can see. And uh, we like to create detail that you can imagine because we actually want you to see it. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, I think that's that's a key to, to uh -huh. any story oh, is yeah. really getting absolutely. Uh, the visuals down. I mean, uh, when you talk about the white pebbles in his hand, you know, and he's, he's tracing the, the blood and you see the different sort of uh, colors. In my head, I can see this grassy sort of plane he's come to. I can see this cap and I can mm -hmm. smell these things. I can... Uh, I can I can see the the animals in the farmstead uh, mm -hmm. that had been um, practiced upon, you know, with their weapons and such. Uh, and I think it's that I think that's what makes it so immersive. It's we wanted the detail to be so intricate mm -hmm. that you could see the expressions on the faces sure. changing. Sure, oh, absolutely. And. Uh, I wanted you to see Lexi looking at the blood and, and grimacing and, mm. oh, and yeah. kind of, yeah, of shearing back like, 
You got to see I that. Really you got to see that. Oh right, yes, right. and uh, because uh, dear listeners and readers, uh, of course, thank you for pressing the play button, and of course, thank you to our composer who uh, Alexander Nakarada, who has uh, such a, a visual a style in his composition that you hear in our intro. Um, if you really want to not only read the book but uh, see the book. Uh, and, and I mean, see these scenes in your in your head, you know, and, and really feel like you're living in these spaces. Well, you can pick up the book at TrueBooks.com. You can check out the website at TrueBooks.com. You can check out the Facebook page, the TikTok, the Instagram, all at TrueBooks, T-R-O-U-P-E.com. If you have questions or comments, of course, as our uh, questions keep coming in, please feel free to uh, drop us a line on the About page at TrueBooks. Uh, the uh, book can be... Uh, uh, picked up at Troop Books, you can hit the author page at uh, Ewing's Publishing and pick up a hardcover or a softcover. And I hope to talk to you next time on Conversations with the Authors. <laughs> <laughs>